Well, hello, I'm Arlene Bynum for Alex Pearson with On Point. In the podcast today, we talk about some very good news. There was an announcement on PPE procurement with the Premier and the federal government working together. All about the impact of CERB and EI for Canadians and businesses and United States of America. Voting for Americans who are living in Canada. They're living among us. What do they think about Joe Biden? There's big change coming, as the as the song says. We're going to be talking in a few moments with the Minister of Economic Development, Vic Fideli, about an announcement that was made today. And I got to tell you, I mean, we're talking about how crazy politics is. And it was quite a scene. We had some unusual... Uh, bedmates here. We had the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, and then we had the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Now, they were never the bestie situation, certainly not in the last election campaign. Justin Trudeau, may I remind you, (laughs) really pulling out Doug Ford, but stuff happens and a lot of things have changed. Doug Ford having a lot of good words to say about the Prime Minister today, and they had an incredible announcement, an announcement about N95 masks that are going to be made in Ontario. And this is an example of this crazy, topsy-turvy world. And let's talk about it. Vic Fideli joining us, Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation, Trade, and Chair of Cabinet. Minister Fideli, good evening. Happy Friday. Good evening, Arlene. Great to, uh, great to hear, uh, great to be on with you today. All right. What a day it is. You had to hide and blink. It's really a sign of the times. There you have the prime minister and you have Doug Ford and everybody's bonamy and making this great announcement and a grand announcement it was, Minister Fideli. Well, think about it. Uh, you know, our, 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 we're about economic development, job creation and mm-hmm. trade, and we hit the trifecta today. So there was lots of reason for the Premier to be happy today. We created jobs in Brockville. We uh, have a new uh, foreign direct investment uh, from 3M. And we have now an opportunity to make uh, the N95, the gold standard of masks, first of all, for Ontario, secondly, for Canada, and thirdly, to export. So this is, we've hit, we've hit the uh, trifecta today. So I'm going to ask you, you know, we saw the couple of blows that we had recently from the United States of America. You know, we've just signed, of course, our new trade deal and the president of the United States putting those aluminum tariffs and a lot of chatting within Canada about whether or not we should move things within the country. Also, that was a new vein of thought after the pandemic. A lot of people questioning things. Is this an example of taking care of what we need here? Absolutely. Right right at the beginning uh, of the pandemic, early in March, uh, when the U.S. Uh, was doing some saber rattling and other countries around the world were uh, getting a bit protectionist, Premier Ford stood up and he said, that's it, Ontario, we are the economic uh, engine of Canada. We are the manufacturing hub of our entire nation. So let's get at it. Let's it was I call it a call to arms. And he said, never again will we be uh, beholding to any other jurisdiction for the goods that we need. And in this case, it was for personal protective equipment. So right away, we saw the automotive sector just rallied. 
the parts manufacturers just really rallied Woodbridge and Magna and all of the companies that that got together and they're they're now they're making ventilators uh, they're making uh, gowns they're making masks and then we re, we positioned to retool many other companies throughout uh, Ontario uh, who are now uh, in the face shield business, in the hand sanitizer business, in the wipes business. We're making our PPE here in Ontario, just as the Premier first of all called for and then forecasted. What else can we expect in here? This looks like a, I mean, they've got a road show going on there, uh, Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau. Where are they (laughs) heading next, do you think? Well, you know, I've been with the Premier uh, at many of these announcements on personal protective equipment, and we're, we're really in a great spot now for the manufacturing. As I say, we've been all across Ontario where we're now making face shields and hand sanitizer. and So there's still more coming. The, the Premier put $50 million into what we call the Ontario Together Fund, and this fund is to help these companies retool, and so we've been out making these announcements of investments, uh, whether it's in Concord, Ontario, Pembroke, Barrie, Kitchener, St. Catharines, uh, uh, all across Ontario. And so we've got a solid base there. But the Premier also, back in March, said, look, we should be making all of these other products. So think about pharmaceuticals. Um, you know, we heard some rumblings from Asia. We weren't going to send you the raw materials, mm-hmm. these kind of things. So I think you can start to look in that area uh, as well. But just everything. The Premier has said Ontario made. This is the Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters Program. So think about going into a, a hardware store, buying a barbecue, and you've got the uh, Weber barbecue, pardon that noise, I'm on the, parked on the side of the hey, highway. We're, between we're all everywhere these days. Between <laughs> Ottawa and North Bay as I'm heading home <laughs> for the night. Uh, so you've got, uh, you want to buy a barbecue, you've got the Weber barbecue made in Chicago, and you've mm-hmm. got the Napoleon barbecue made in Barrie. You know, all things being equal, the Premier says, buy the barbecue made in Ontario. Keep Ontario jobs, keep your friends, your neighbours and, and your relatives employed in Ontario. And that's why I start looking for the Ontario-made branding on things. Look for that Canadian flag and start proudly buying Canadian things. All all things being equal or maybe just a hair hair not so equal. Exactly, though. Um, Where do you think Canadians are right now? This is in the middle of pandemic. We're making a lot of personal protective equipment. What about when things calm down? We often wonder, I mean, there was a mindset, wasn't there, Vic? Everybody wanted things that were cheap, and it was applauded. Great trade relationships. Can you do this and still have great trade relationships and maybe just change the way and the things that are traded? Yeah, I think we've got our swagger on right now, too. (laughs) We've got a real Ontario pride thing going. Uh, we're proud. Uh, to, I, I, I can tell you, I turn the labels around and, and look at where they're made today. Mm-hmm. And all things being equal, you pick up the one that's made in Ontario, certainly the one that's made in Canada. Uh, I think that's going to send a strong signal. But we are making a lot of things. Look at this aluminum uh, tariff mm-hmm. that you spoke about earlier, Arlene. Uh, you, you spoke well about that. So think about that for a second. You know, the, the United States does not make anywhere near the amount of aluminum they need. Uh, 
so now, by, by, by thumbing their nose at Canada, uh, I mean, the, the Premier was very clear, like, who does that? They now need to bring in more aluminum from Russia, more aluminum from China. So it's all more about making election points. That's all this is about, uh, which is very sad. The, the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is dead against this uh, uh, these uh, uh, tariffs. Mm-hmm. The the U.S. aluminum sector, the association, is dead against these tariffs. They they called it a bad. The, the Chamber of Commerce called it a bad movie, and the the U.S. Uh, aluminum sector said you're punishing the wrong people. This has nothing to do with Canada, mm-hmm. but it sounds good, right? We made an easy target. Yeah. Well, God help. I've said this several times. God help Donald Trump if he starts tweeting against Premier Doug Ford, (laughs) because he's going to the fire and fury, the likes of which he's never seen, if I can use his own words. Premier stands up for the hardworking men and women of Ontario every single day. He does it very loudly and very clearly. So they'll know he's they'll know he's there. He calls himself the 800 pound gorilla in the room that he'll just be pounding his fist on the table. Uh, and, and he's doing it for all of us. Vic Fideli, thank you for joining us. Congrats on this announcement today. And you have a great weekend. We appreciate it. You as well, Arlene. Thank you for the time you've given me. Vic Fideli, Minister of Economic Development, Job Creation, Trade, and Chair of the Cabinet. And look, this is a good news story. I mean, we can poke holes and say this, that, and the other. I don't know. There's not much. You've got... You've got innovation, you've got pivoting, you've got working together different levels of government. No matter what you think, you may be you may be frustrated with the Liberal government in Ottawa, but this is working to, together to get things done, uh, in my opinion. And you've got a premier who has turned, his brand was one thing when he was elected and he said certain things, and he turned that brand around in the pandemic. And uh, I've said this before, I don't know how many, even Liberal analysts I talked to, who are saying, you know, I'm cheering him on. I can hardly wait. So um, this is a snapshot in time, like the polls in the American election, like the polls in any election. It is a snapshot in time. Well, thank you for having me. It's just a pleasure and an honor to be here. We have so much to talk about because we've got changes to Serb and those who have fallen between the cracks, those who didn't know how they would pay their bills, they're semi-relieved because they still don't know the future. On the other hand, it's a deck of cards, this pandemic, isn't it? How are businesses handling these changes? It sure is. And and for people to understand, I mean, a, a lot of people are under the misconception that if you own a business, you're super wealthy and there's a money tree in your backyard just waiting for you to pluck the dollars off. And nothing could be farther from the truth. The, the average profit margin is 7%. So that's not a lot of profit to be playing with. And when you consider that we have to compete on a global stage with a lot of additional costs, like carbon tax, like the clean fuel standards that's coming down the pipe, um, you can see that we've got a lot of pressures just to survive. And then when you add on to this that we're not competing uh, now with other businesses for staff, we're competing with the government who's paying people to stay at home. So that's just, it's a death by a thousand cuts. Um, we, we pay the highest electricity in Ontario. Um, no thanks to the green energy policy that the previous 
uh, provincial government pushed. And, and what that did was uh, small to medium-sized businesses uh, who are Class B electricity users were the ones that had to pay for all of those very exorbitant contracts for wind and solar. And so a lot of those people got 20-year, 10-year, 20-year contracts for 90 cents a kilowatt hour when the going rate in North America is between uh, 4 and 8 cents. And so they put that on manufacturers in the form of global adjustment. And so we're paying almost the highest for electricity in North America. Um, I pay between 28 and 32 cents a kilowatt hour. And businesses are leaving. Like our, our, the vice president of our coalition ha- had to move his business, say $400,000 in electricity. But he didn't do it because he wanted to. He did it because it was the choice be- between keeping the business afloat and had to choose between the employees that he loved and having the business be viable. And these are the things that a lot of people just don't understand because maybe we haven't done such a great job in uh, explaining economics. Of getting, or, of getting the message. I want to ask you because the there's message. the different there's different layers to this. We have the, the CERB. We also have had, Jocelyn, a lot of indicators so far this week that after this proroguing and the reset button is hit, that there may be some changes keeping in the new reality because of the pandemic, and there could be some permanent changes to the economic outlook, and, the, and we will hear about it in the speech from the throne. And many are wondering, I mean, is the liberal government, the, the federal liberal government, going to move forward and make some corrections, and will they include the business community? Yes, and it's a very troubling time to be a business owner because you don't know how you're going to survive if they keep uh, piling on additional costs. And and when you uh, think about some of the policies that they're going to introduce, um, and the debt that we've incurred as a country, someone is going to have to pay for that. And the only way you can get yourself out of that debt hole is to have more jobs in the economy and more people paying taxes. But if you put in policies that does the exact opposite, you'll have less people with jobs to pay taxes and a less way to get ourselves out of that debt. And when we're in debt, what happens is you have less money for social programs because the first person that gets paid is the is the creditor. So if the federal government is in debt, they're going to have to pay interest, and that interest is money that we can't put towards social programs. And there doesn't seem to be a recognition that the time will come when there needs to be a reckoning. And who is going to be paying for all of this stuff? Jocelyn, is there a way to look at the reality from two different points of view? Um, you know, it doesn't matter how you vote. This pandemic has opened a lot of people uh, people's eyes. We have frontline workers, people putting their life um, on the line. And we've seen a new a new reality. On the other hand, small business has been crying out for some time. We remember when the liberals first came to power, there was a a feeling that the small business people were being left out. In some ways, they were even being called cheats. Most people see things a little bit differently. How do you see that all of this can be addressed without just heaping up the debt and kicking it down the road? 
Well, there's lots of ways. Uh, we have a very vibrant resource sector. And what the liberal government are indicating is that they are going to um, force us out of our resource sector. And those resource sector jobs are high-paying, high-skilled. They bring a lot of wealth not only to the country, but to the employees. And they can also be the solution to a cleaner planet. Because if we export our clean, liquefied natural gas, we can have other countries come off their dependence on coal. So not only can we have prosperity in our country, but we could have a cleaner planet. But the federal liberals have have indicated that they're going to release this Green New Deal. And we saw the damage that Green New Deal uh, had in Ontario. And it's the same policy advisors that are pushing that Ontario plan federally. So we can only see um, destruction. And the thing that a lot of people don't realize is how interconnected the resource and manufacturing sector are. A lot of manufacturers in Ontario uh, produce parts and pieces for the resource sector. So when you bring down the resource sector, you're also bringing down the manufacturing sector. So how could we get out of this hole? we could say we're going to uh, allow our resource sector to have projects and give high-paying jobs and, and export our resources. That's, that will also help our manufacturing sector, and that is the road to prosperity. But they're doing the exact opposite. They're putting costs on, and they're not allowing us to work in those areas that we compete so well uh, globally in. You know, uh, finally, let me ask you, I mean, what what have you seen that you didn't think you'd see since this happened? I mean, a lot of people have been putting things most of their adult lives through a political template. Is there a moment where you started to rethink things? Well, I, I think that one thing that uh, people don't recognize is 92% of all businesses in Canada are 100 people and below. So that's a huge mm-hmm. majority. <laughs> And it's not a uh, us versus them. When you work in a family company, you do what you can to support your people because they're your gold, they're your resources. And we don't need government legislation to tell us that we are all terrible people because I've seen a lot of uh, business owners put their employees before themselves. So we, so this narrative that uh, all business owners are, are cheats, they treat their employees terribly, that, that's a false narrative. And, and until we get to understand that the private sector is what provides the public sector the money to do those programs, and so you have to work if you want to have a vibrant economy, you have to work in concert with the business community. And what we've seen time and time again from the federal liberals is ideologically driven policies that they don't do in concert with the business community. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. Uh, Dan Kelly has, uh, from the CFIB, uh, came out with you know, uh, some, some very good research that says that the EI changes now will mean that somebody uh, will, you know, could only have to work for for uh, just three weeks to collect six months of EI, and that would uh, get them ten thousand dollars in benefits. So. You know, these are some of the unintended consequences that we see with a lot of these policies. And it doesn't seem like the federal government wants to work with the business community, especially the small to medium-sized business community, which is the life 
uh, blood of our economy. Uh, so we need, uh, in order for our economy to get back on track and for people to have good jobs, we really need some policy that's driven um, in concert and with sound economic principles. Jocelyn Banford, it's uh, great to have you on this Friday night. Thank you. Good luck out there. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful weekend. All right. You too. Jocelyn is president and founder of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. I would like to welcome Bruce Heyman, former U.S. Ambassador to Canada, co-author of the best-selling memoir, The Art of Diplomacy, Strengthening the Canada-U.S. Relationship in Times of Uncertainty. Bruce Heyman, lovely to talk to you again. Pleasure is mine. Good to be here. Okay, there we are. The Democratic Convention has wound up in these most unusual times. And let's face it, you used the words times of uncertainty in your book, and they still are times of uncertainty, plus add a pandemic. We know that we have a lot of Americans who are living in Canada. But let me ask you before we talk about the power of the American vote here in Canada, what did you think of the convention? Well, in some regards, I had a sigh of relief. In other regards, I had I was elated. Um, and I'll tell you why. I've been to um, different conventions. I was at Bill Clinton's convention. I was at uh, Barack Obama's two conventions. And I know the importance of them. And while you see what happens during the evening for those evening shows that take place, there's something that happens all day long. There's all kinds of constituency groups that are doing meetings and the state parties and, and, and all the LGBT group and the environmental groups and energy groups and all these things. And you wondered whether they would be able to pull all that off. It's easy to do an evening show. Well, it's not easy, but it's easier to do an evening show. It's harder to get all those different constituencies together. I'll tell you, it was such a success over these last several days. And then the evenings worked out perfectly. Yeah, a few snafus, a few little, you know, production quality things that could have been a little better. But it showed the reality of the moment and being in this pandemic and having to adapt to this new, this new world that we're in. And I think the messaging was clear. We're in trouble, number one. Number two... We have the right guy and we have the right partner. And number three, he stood up and explained how he would tackle it and what he would do. And I think at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of good feelings among leaders in the Democratic Party. And I had a conversation uh, just before mm-hmm. um, the new vice president, hopefully Kamala Harris. Uh, before she spoke, I spoke with her husband on the phone. Um, I spoke with a number of the leaders over the last few days. I would tell you a lot of people have a, you know, if I could see them, they'd have a spring in their step, but they had that spring in their voice of feeling very good about how things went. Now, Joe Biden had to do a number of things, as every candidate does in that situation, and it's all different. The Republicans, as you know, have been pushing hard, saying he's not up for the job. Some analysis thought that Joe Biden blew a big hole in that argument. How do you think he did? So think about all the various arguments. And Donald Trump swings wildly to try to find the place of of a person's weakness. And then 
once he finds it, he drills in on that weakness. So they've been flailing away, both with with Joe Biden. And you'd say, wow, the guy's been around the political life for such a long period of time. But it's really hard to nab him with something. So the, the first thing, sleepy Joe didn't seem sleepy to me. Second thing is, wow, he, he has gas prone and does all that. Wow, that didn't happen either. And then they truly explained in a very personal way with this 13-year-old boy what it's like to be a stutterer mm-hmm. and how how he had, um, the vice president, had worked to overcome that over time. Um, I think they tried to tackle him on religion this last few weeks. And I think he talked about, you know, his religious beliefs and spirit. And so there were a whole number of things that the they did a good job at uh, dismissing the Republican arguments. So they're going to have to find a new way to frame this. And, and they and they really may do out. that. <laughs> they may do that. No, they, they're going to try. They're going to sure yeah. try. That's for sure. Now, you know, as we look at the the polls, we know that Biden is ahead and head to heads over and mm-hmm. over and over again. A couple have showed it tightening, but for the most part, it's about ten points between nine and ten points. We know that head to heads don't really matter on election day. How do you feel about all the polls that you're looking at, state by state, the swing states that Joe Biden needs to win? Well, I'd rather be in this position than Donald Trump's position today. Good answer. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that the polls are indicative of where we are at this moment in time. They will narrow. They will come together, uh, especially after the Republican convention where people will are going to work on creating some enthusiasm there. But here's the here's the real rub. I believe there are more people today and at Election Day that are for Joe Biden than Donald Trump. The question is, how are we going to get those people to register and get their vote in and get it in time so it's counted? The Republicans know this. So they're working really hard to try to get those people to not vote. And if they do vote, get their votes not to count. So they're messing with the mail service. They're taking people off to voter rolls. They're trying their very best. They have a very solidified core that will vote. I don't think it expands significantly. Their whole goal is to hurt the Democratic side. And that's what we've seen. And I think that's what we'll continue to see for the next 74 days. Here in Canada, a lot of Americans living here, a lot of people living across the country who can vote. How much and how tough of a outreach is being made for Canadians who have that U.S. ballot to vote? We're working really, really hard. I think we have an opportunity for Americans living in Canada to decide who the next president is. You know, Hillary lost Michigan by less than 11,000 votes. Mm-hmm. I am confident there are enough, you know, Canadians who have Michigan uh, background that would allow them to vote in Michigan. You vote where you last lived and you go to votefromabroad.org and you get your ballot. It's so easy. Even if you've never voted before, if you haven't lived in the United States for 50 years, you can still vote. If where you used to live is now a Walmart or a 7-Eleven, <laughs> still vote. And, but you have to go through the process, request it back by email, and then immediately when you get it, which will be September 19th, which is less than 30 days away now, turn it around right away and get it right back. 
to the state in which you would be eligible to vote. The Raptors went out. The coach went out and said, <laughs> Americans living here, you got to get the vote. We are working with influencers. Hannah Bronfman just did a, a social media post on Instagram yesterday, uh, part of the Bronfman family. And she's married a Canadian and she's out telling her story. And she did a good job explaining the process. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'm working really hard just to tell you that I think we're at a critical point in, a, in this American experiment. And this American experiment since the late 1700s has weathered a lot of storms. But this is a big one. And I think if Donald Trump's president for four more years, I think there's going to be so much damage done. I question whether we'll be able to survive this, our democracy, and at least in the form that we've known. And we're your next door neighbor. Authoritarian governments, that doesn't stay in the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, it doesn't stay on one side of the border. There's a whole history of these kinds of governments, and they don't end well, and they don't end well for the neighborhood. So, Americans in Canada, this is your chance. Votefromabroad.org. I need your help. The country needs your help. You should do it for for your country, Canada, that you live in, and you should do it for that passport you still have of the United States. Bruce, you know, there's there's a, a lot of people as well, finally. It is a most unusual situation, pandemic, Donald Trump, all of it, talking so clearly from a past president, Barack Obama, talking almost with a tear in his eye about democracy. It's all very unusual. And here you have in this election... Republicans like the Lincoln Project, you have actual Republicans working with the Democrats. It's kind of like a sci-fi movie and everybody gets in the same spaceship, isn't it? So those that recognize the threat to democracy are lining up in support of Joe Biden. Those that recognize Joe as a person and what he brings to the table relative to Donald Trump are lining up. Those that feel threatened and worried that Donald Trump is going to, you know, somehow hurt their political careers or hurt them in some other way, that they are aligned with Donald Trump right now. But we're seeing a lot of what I would call more moderate Republicans that that were classic Republicans over time have lined up. We just saw the governor of of Vermont, a Republican Mm -hmm. today, say he's not going to vote for Donald Trump. And we're seeing more and more. And I suspect that we'll see a lot more of this over the next couple of months as the pressure increases and, you know, Donald Trump continues to do these things that are, you know, off the rails, attacking Goodyear, you know, and then he says, I'll take the tires off the limo because, <laughs> you know, it's Goodyear tires. I mean, you know, this makes no sense. We've lost our sense. And, uh, you know, he, they're dismantling the post office. They're sending troops into Portland. We're at a crisis moment in our country. And, um, I'm, I, I just hope that we have the the wherewithal to change that in in a couple of months. Bruce Heyman, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. And a big call out to United States citizens in Canada and get out there and vote. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Be healthy, everyone. Okay, will do. Bruce Heyman is the former U.S. ambassador to Canada and co-author of the best-selling memoir, The Art of Diplomacy. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch On Point live every weeknight right here on Global News Radio.